The Tablet Show, episode 116, with guest John Skeet. Recorded live Wednesday, December 4th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to John Skeet about his experiences using C-Sharp everywhere. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to The Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard. We're here at NDC London. This is the Norwegian Developer Conference's first foray into the foggy city, such as it is. John Skeet is here. Uh, we're in a fishbowl on the floor. But before we get into any of that, let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. All right, buddy. What do you got? So do you remember last month when Amazon.com announced on Black Friday that they were going to have little drone copters that are going to ship products. They talked about it on the, the on 60 Minutes, for crying out loud. Yeah. I thought it was an April Fool's Day prank, to be honest. Well, and to your point, which we talked about, uh, we've been talking about this all month, great PR oh, yeah, for Amazon.com on Black Friday, because it's an impossible thing. First yeah. of all, it's illegal. Yeah, the FAA would have something to say about right. that. Right, and You only did. need to have one Amazon drone sucked into a jet engine. Yeah. <laughs> and I went actually looking at their proposal, and if for people who weren't paying attention, their proposal was to have these drones deliver packages that were under a certain weight, but only within 10 miles of their warehouses. Right. How many Amazon customers live within 10 miles of an Amazon.com well, warehouse? how many warehouses do they have? They yeah. Have quite I have a few, no but idea. I, I remember seeing one of them out in, like, Minden, Nevada. Yeah, right. right? So, like, nowhere. And if you live close to a warehouse, are you really that worried about delivery time? Seriously. But you might be worried about seeing it delivered by drones. Yeah, it's well, fundamentally cool, however practical it may or may but not be. you're going to get your package probably before anybody else because you live within 10 miles of the freaking warehouse. But like, if you also get it by drone. Okay, yeah, I, I, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I'm just saying like the whole thing was obviously to get PR during Black Friday. That, I mean, that being said, in a couple of years, the idea of half-hour delivery of whatever you want. Yeah. Right? I, what worries me is what happens to the bricks and mortar shops. I like having high streets or malls or whatever yeah. you want to call them. Well, they're um, already struggling. Yeah. You know, there's already, already a battle going on with them. The, the drones aren't going to end that. What, what, really, what really makes, and, and I, hey, we could talk about this forever because I love this topic, but it brings people back to the city just for the cultural reasons, not for commerce reasons. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The commerce would be the coffee shop. That's where people are going now anyway. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of commerce being done there. But that, those are the kinds of things that are bringing people back into the cities. It's not the, they're certainly not going there to shop. Yeah, that's all I got, Richard. So, uh, you know, it's been about a month, but it's been on my, burning on my mind. I want uh, to talk about the drone f- fiasco. Yeah. Who's talking to us, man? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 103, and that's the one we did with Rocky. Yes. When he was, you know, saying JavaScript is the future. Right. And uh, it's just one of those shows that generate a lot of conversation. Yes, And uh, a fellow by the name of MJ says, a great podcast with Rocky, and it emphasizes the biggest issue with JavaScript. It is low level. 
Remember, some folks have been calling right. it the wow. assembly language of the web. Right. I have been writing applications using Elevate Software's web builder, in which I write, quote, Delphi language code. So I guess Pascal. Yeah. Uh, so I have the full object-oriented and high-level type-safe language, and it outputs JavaScript that runs in the browser. I can use the same output for PhoneGap code, too. The productivity is fantastic, and I use the real Delphi for the back-end code, so I gain this one-language benefit. Yeah. So totally off the path of C-sharp, but a whole other approach to one-language development mm-hmm. that I can do front-end and back-end for a yeah, web app. I'm, I'm never sure of just how much benefit there is in having one language for both. I'm totally with you, and I w- I'd love to have that conversation with you, too, You're talking about building Trouble, phone apps. I will be speaking from inexperience, because I'm a back-end <laughs> kind of guy. I don't <laughs> build front-ends, generally. I but mean, you dive yeah. right in. Uh, MJ goes on to say, it, it isn't, of course, going to be ideal for everyone, but if you know Delphi then it is a big step up from low-level JavaScript. The desire for a higher-level language version of JavaScript seems to be a common tablet show desire, and it's worth knowing that there are some tools out there that deliver this now. And now, of course, there's TypeScript. Yes, right. TypeScript. If you like Delphi, if you like Anders Helsberg's take on things, yeah. then now you've got TypeScript yeah, you for go the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm not buying that JavaScript is a low-level language. Really? I'm not. Because you've been writing in it. I, I am writing in it. Uh, if anything, it's really high-level, and... When, you're, when, when I think of a low-level language, I think of bitwise manipulation. I think of being able to deal with arrays of bytes. And, so and, that's and one I'd way of talking about low-level. But if you think of low-level as building blocks on which you build higher-level constructs... Right. However, they, at that in point, order for it, it to be. be a lower-level language, you have to have access to lower-level functionality, don't you? You don't have I, to be close to the metal. You've got to be able to do everything you need to be able to do. That's yeah. right. And I find myself, you know, wanting to do everything that I want to do in JavaScript. Right. So that's a conversation we'll probably have with John. Never Coming did. right up Because John Skeet's here. Because John Skeet is here. Oh, and I should say to MJ, thanks so much for sending out your comment. Uh, now that we've read it on the show, I want to send you a Tablet Show mug. So you just send us your mailing address, and if you'd like a Tablet Show mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to diatomenterprises.com. And with that, let us officially welcome John Skeet to the Tablet Show. John Skeet is a C-sharp and Java developer currently working at Google in the U.K., for many years, he's been a frequent poster in technical news groups and has been awarded uh, C-Sharp MVP by Microsoft since 2003. His C-Sharp website contains some of the most frequently referenced articles on topics such as singleton implementations and parameter passing. He was a member of the writing team for Groovy in Action in 2007, and his first solo book, C-Sharp In-Depth, came out in May 2008. John's interested in tracking how languages and platforms are evolving to blend imperative and functional styles of programming, as well as providing more support for parallelism. While his day job is programming in Java, John is a C-sharp developer at heart. Welcome, John. Good to be with you. Good to be... I, I was going to say good to be back, but it's, it's not quite .NET Rocks. <laughs> well, yeah, it really is. It really yeah. is .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks for phones, but uh, you're still a C-sharp guy. Oh, very much so. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And uh, yeah. just got off stage doing a C-sharp talk as per normal for you at NBC. Yes, well, and indeed, uh, I started the uh, the talk. It was an async talk. 
and I started off by mentioning that I talked about async at NDC in Oslo this year. Right. And I talked about async twice, in fact, in NDC Oslo two years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, it'll, yeah, in some ways it'll be quite nice when I retire the whole async talk, but uh, it's interesting how long it takes for a new language feature to not just get released. I started talking about it before it was um, you know, it yeah. was public, but it wasn't uh, in a, a full Visual Studio release. But even then, you know, it was released in 2012, and there are still loads of people who haven't used it yet. Right. I love how just I've integrated async into my development with that single keyword mm -hmm. makes it so easy that it's just become programming now. Right. Right. You know, it's just become another keyword. It is transformative. It's transformative. And I don't. I don't quite get why the world isn't saying, wow, this is amazing stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. kind of, oh, yeah, there's, there's an async thing. There's an async thing. I, I, I've seen every, every single talk I've done about async, I start off by asking people how much they've done right. you know, yeah. to, to gauge where I need to be pitching the, the talk. And the more they've and done, the more impressed they're going to be. I, I really hope so. It's yeah. beautiful. It's not just useful. It's genuinely beautiful. Yeah, it is. And uh, it, for a long time, for a good year and a half, I think, even... As, as Visual Studio 2012 was being released, there would be really very few people who'd used it at all. And now I get most people have at least seen it, but relatively few people had used it in anger. Right. Right? It's something <laughs> that other people do. Um, and I was speaking to someone after the talk who was saying, well, yeah, it's because the banking industry and you know, similar industries, but I guess banking in, in particular, takes so long to move on to new platforms. They're right. all still using .NET 4 and they don't want the, the async targeting pack or any sure. other hot fixes or anything like that. So people are, are waiting and maybe in three years time or something, there'll be this sudden renaissance saying, hey, look at how cool this async async thing but is. It's only four right. or five. If you were already on four, I mean, yeah. if they were on two, I could see... Oh, right. well, you guys are a long it, it way was away. the one point one to two. Yeah, was jump which, that which was just huge, jump. and yeah, mm. yeah, that took. But if you're at very four, going to four five one is just not that big a deal. Well, it depends on what your validation is like. Right. If if in order to deploy something on .NET four five, you've got to go through huge hoops of every security hot fix that's right. gone into it and mm. it needs to be torn apart and reassembled. And, you know, if you're a bank, then, well, as, I don't know whether you've caught the news that uh, one bank here in the UK had a, a not terribly good Cyber Monday where people couldn't buy things for a few hours, Ouch. Which, which unsurprisingly was an IT problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that kind of thing, it makes sense to really qualify things very, very carefully. Sure. Yeah. yeah. By now, you would hope that people were a bit more advanced than they are. Yeah. You think the stuff would just work. So how in love with C Sharp are you actually? That's a very personal question. Because, <laughs> you know, some people love C-sharp so much that they want to develop everything in C-sharp, including, you know, iPad applications. And Wherever possible. And you know, I, I get the feeling that you may be sort of leading into something. Oh, this just purely a softball hunch, here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I just, I speak to the uh, comment we had at the beginning of the show. Here's a guy who's found a way to do his mobile development in uh, Delphi. Mm. Yeah, you know, using Delphi to generate a version of Delphi that generates JavaScript to run inside a phone gap to go onto a phone. Right. Yeah. And in some ways, there is something detestable about that. Uh, to to think back to languages, um, 
some of the worst Java code that I see is mm-hmm. by C++ developers right. who write Java as if it's it C++. C++. And the, the reverse is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. This is nothing against C++ developers. Um, and you get people writing who are Java developers then writing C Sharp. And yeah. they'll use Java naming conventions or they won't know about properties, so they'll still have getter and setter methods. Sure. And it just won't feel right. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, developing on iOS or Android in C Sharp... <sighs> If done badly, you could end up with something that looks like a WinForms app. And that, can you imagine sure. anything worse than WinForms on iOS? Yeah, those um, are little buttons. So that's where it, it, it's important that you embrace the idioms of the platform, oh, okay. even if you're developing in a different language. You're not embracing the language. You're right. not embracing objects, uh, Objective-C, C, Objective-C, but, but you do want to embrace the, at least the UI yeah, of the iPhone. You really don't want an inconsistent UI between different apps. I think I may have mentioned this on the previous .NET Rocks. Do you remember where every media player, it used to be media players and chat UIs. Right. Yes. Everyone said, I know what I'm going to do. I will have a non-rectangular window and all yep. kinds of widgets that you've never heard that's of. That's right. Um, because that's what will differentiate me. I will be hard to use because nothing will be familiar. Yeah, Winamp like, comes to wow, mind. What, what is that? Yeah. The thing that Winamp did, and, it, and it's the ultimate manifestation of that, is then you punt. It's like, and it's skinnable. Right. So right. because I yeah, have yeah, no yeah. UI design capabilities, I'm going to leave it up to the community. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And then you go to someone else's computer and want to play some music. And even though they're using the same program that you're familiar with, yeah. the skin's so different that you can't find anything anymore. Right. Um, so I'm all for consistency. There's room for innovation in UI, but let's keep it measured and actually innovation for the sake of I want to embrace something fundamentally better right. rather than just I want to be different. You know, apps should be different in terms of their capabilities, not their interaction. So what is that device sitting in front of you there? So I have two devices in front of me. I have an iPad, which is shiny and new. It's a, a bare week and a half old. Um, and I have my Nexus 4, which I love dearly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and on both of them, I have... Um, Applications written in C Sharp uh, using NodaTime. NodaTime, which is my date and time library. And right. In no. fact, this is the, the main reason. It's really, really sad that I buy uh, a couple of bits of uh, Apple hardware in order to run date and time stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked more. about NodaTime yeah. in June at that, on, on that last show on .NET mm-hmm. Rocks. Yeah. But tell us, you know, you would, you did a whole set of sessions around NodaTime. Yeah, so I, I try to use it um, almost as a case study in, mm. not in perfection by any means, but in terms of where, um, where we've occasionally gone wrong in our understanding of data and information, um, and also how NodaTime is doing as an open source project, where it's done really well, things I'm proud of, right. mm-hmm. things that we've really screwed up, or room to do better, or you know, aspirations. Um, and because it's very much a standalone library, it doesn't have a bunch of dependencies. If you've got something like Hibernate or nHibernate, um, that naturally, and you know, it's not a fault at all, but that naturally comes with a bunch of dependencies. Sure. Um, NodaTime is completely standalone you you install it from nougat and you're done you can then do the appropriate um, bits of date and time manipulation right um so it's it's the perfect little toy to put onto um other devices now you say it's a it's a library so right you have written tools you have written apps in there in the native uh 
So you've used Java for the Android app and you Absolutely use Absolutely not. No. For so this is where it comes back to embracing a platform but not a language. Yeah. So um, on both devices, I have small apps that give you a list of time zones uh, where they're the zone info or TCDB or IANA, depending on how you want to describe the, the standard time zone database for everything apart from Windows. Um, it gives you a list of those time zone IDs, like Europe, London, okay, and um, tells you the transitions when it goes into daylight saving time and when it comes back out of daylight oh, saving yeah, time good. and the abbreviations. These are not meant to be useful apps yet. They're really toys to just check whether the platform works. Um, and on my iPad, I have in front of me a picture of the, the world. And if I tap on a particular place, it goes to the nearest place where there is a time zone defined. So I've just clicked um, near Ireland and it's shown me Europe, Dublin. And I can click, it's quite small, the UK on this map. Uh, but if I click near London, it shows Europe, London. And it's quite small on every map. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but full of heart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Except on Mercator projections. Indeed. Somehow Mercator yeah, projections so make England bigger. So this is um, an equirectangular projection because that makes the maths easier. Right. And it means I can have a, a full rectangle. And, you know, it, it just shows a little spot and shows you what the current offset from UTC is. Okay. And again, which is zero. Which nice is choice. zero for Europe, London. And <laughs> if I click near Los Angeles, um, uh, it will show me minus eight. Right. All right. Um, and all of those good things. And actually, that's coming close to being a useful application at that mm -hmm. point. Sure. Um, unfortunately, it does show you the nearest time zone rather than the time zone that you're in. So you could be, um, say, nearer to Berlin right. than you are to Paris, but still be in France. Right. I, I suspect that's geographically correct. And this would show you Berlin rather than Paris. Right. Um, but... You know, the next version maybe will will fetch out to a web service and say, given a given lat long, what is the uh, time zone ID, and then I can display the details. Nice. But it's really just, can I even do this simple thing? So yeah. and I think the answer to my question is, this is a C sharp app. This is absolutely a C sharp app, um, built with uh, in the iPad case Xamarin.iOS, mm -hmm. and for mm -hmm. my phone, it's built with Xamarin.Android. But yeah, in both cases built on Visual Studio on a Windows machine, nice, which I find just amazing. So the whole thing is slightly, um, Heath Robinson's too derogatory, but it, it, it feels slightly arcane. Um, if I'm building an iPad app, I couldn't build this app with my laptop in front of me now because it needs a, map a Mac to talk to, yeah, sure. um, yeah, both yeah. for technical reasons and for legal reasons. You cannot build, you're not allowed to build a, an iOS or Mac OS X app um, without a Mac being involved. Right. So do you use a Mac Mini? So I have a Mac Mini. So yeah. that is purely, well, no, my Mac Mini has served two purposes. Firstly, I build my iOS applications on it. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I used it this weekend as a Minecraft server for my eldest son's what, 10th man. birthday party. I'll tell you what, man. I, I went looking for some mini-sized computers that mm -hmm. had FireWire ports. Because, yeah. you know, we've talked about this before. Sure. FireWire is, a, is, is really important to me um, because it interfaces to audio hardware that I right. use. And there's nothing out there in that small form factor besides the Mac Mini that I can find. Well, that it's FireWire used much outside Mac. It's not. It's well, no, it's no. not. And, and, it, and it's used in, in audio and right. video. But outside that, uh, no. And is that because actually a lot of the audio and video creative side of things, they're using Macs already. So that's probably why. Natural. Yeah, that's probably um, why. Whereas yeah. USB is one of those things where it's kind of good enough. So yeah, the, right. the benefits of FireWire haven't 
Yeah, sure. I'm ready for But I feel, but it, but you know, for that, for the amount of money, for the size and the power mm-hmm. that you get, you know, even running as a Windows box, right? It's a beautiful machine. Yeah, the, the Mac Mini um, does what it says on the tin. Yeah. Um, it feels like a bit of a waste to buy. So I've now bought three computers, effectively, for the sake of no time. I've got um, <laughs> the Mac Mini for doing uh, being a build platform Your for iOS. iOS. Builds, yeah. I've got the iPad itself, which I certainly wouldn't have bought if it weren't for Xamarin.iOS. Right. You know, mm-hmm. If my natural, um, slightly biased um, approach to tablets would be I built uh, by a Nexus Seven or a Nexus Ten. Yes. Yeah. Which I, I'm surprised you don't have one because the Nexus Seven is. So gorgeous. We have three Nexus Sevens okay. at home, so you and know. two broken ones. <laughs> uh, you know, because so my, my eldest son has a laptop, and yeah. my uh, my twins have Nexus Sevens, one right. Nexus Seven each. And I gave my wife a Nexus Seven for her birthday a while ago, half expecting to get it back. Right. Yeah, you kind happen. of give it thinking, well, she's not going to actually use it very much, and, and then, then I can steal it back, and uh, ah. you know, uh, then I'll have a tablet. <laughs> yeah. But right. no, she loves it. She yeah. uses it all the time. Um, Tablet perforation is true. I'm beginning to realize they're not individuals' machines. They are room machines. There yeah. should oh, be a living you, room tablet. You haven't been to my house for too long, then. <laughs> uh, you try to take... Uh, take well, you Robin's. have a house full of boys. I, uh, yes, okay. <laughs> That's the difference, I, Richard. I have, I have you been have girls. Have, I we have girls. girls. He has boys. He has right. boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Holly and I will, will both be sitting watching the TV, but I'll check... You know, I'll look on IMDb for the cast of it on my iPad, and she'll be there on her Nexus 7 checking right. email. You're doing um, the second screen thing. Yeah. Oh, right? absolutely. It's so real. Yeah. Um, and I do feel sometimes we we lack focus because of that. I'm sure I don't actually enjoy the TV programs as much. I can't resist saying, where have we seen him in before? Right. And then actually getting that question answered yeah. by pulling up that second screen and looking um, it up. That's actually an app that I want at some point. Maybe I should build this app for tablets. Yeah, this is a great idea. So IMDB has its its databases available. I can't remember exactly what the restrictions are, but right. I think the core database is available. I want to be able to tell it. Ideally, maybe I give it my Netflix and Love Film subscriptions so it knows what I've seen. Right. And then I'm watching one film, and it's a, and I can just say, who do I know from this that's in other things? And it should tell me, well, this guy's been in this these things that right. I know you've seen, and this right. guy's been these things that I know you've seen. So otherwise, you've got to look through the whole of the IMDb profile for the person. Yeah, this should just so, be happening automatically. Absolutely. Do you, do you remember the VH1 did that whole trivia bubble thing while, while the music and video was And this is progress, gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> really? Really? So you, you could have trivia about the show you're watching. Right. You know? In real oh time. my god! But it, it is I don't know if it's fascinating a good thing. stuff. It's well, that, that's the that's thing. That's where we're going. Uh, it, it, I would say it's the kind of thing we crave, but don't necessarily yeah. get benefit from. But the bet, you know, I found it's like you, you're coming up on a battle because uh, your boys are a little bit younger than my girls. My girls were bringing their smartphones to the table at dinner, right? And I'm, and I was trying to come up with a, crea- a creative, non-dictatorial way to fix that. Right. And right. The solution was to give my wife a smartphone. Because then she started bringing it to the table. Right. And the moment it was <laughs> happening to the girls, we could have the conversation about, okay, let's not have phones at the table. Right. So without actually, everybody was on board. We recognized it as a problem. So yeah. they, I'm sure this is coming for you we as well. Have, well, we have a similar thing. Um, my oldest son brings his Kindle. To well, not just to the table, but everywhere to we go. Everything. If we're going shopping, he'll grab his Kindle. And then he's walking around the shop, bumping into things. Right. Because he... Yeah. He, and the one thing you don't want to tell a kid is stop reading. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm right. trying to decide if this is it's bad crazy, or not. But, but I think the best way to address this issue is actually to explore its depth and say, is this what you want? Right. Right. Until you actually know, until you've mm-hmm. actually had that experience, does it make sense to fight it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. And I think watching TV and the whole second screen thing, I wonder whether there will be a backlash. Um, I, that I think we will, will start be. disciplining ourselves to say, I'm going to explicitly leave the iPad. And I can imagine for the first few times that you do it, you're going to be clawing at the table sure. going, I, I, just, I know I've seen him in something else and I might have an email and someone might have tweeted something. <laughs> but, but, but no, I'm, I'm, watching the, I'm watching the show it's now. It's the same thing as actually going to lunch with someone and putting your phones away. Right. And it's the same thing as going on vacation without technology. But uh -huh. these were not things I ever did right. until they were a problem. Well, you know, and what's really interesting is to see people's reactions when you actually do put the phone away and just listen to them. Yeah. Because so many people have the experience of not being listened to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That when you actually do focus on them, it's like amazing. It was like, really? You, you want to hear this story? Yes. I actually, want to pay I, I actually am here listening to you. Well, then I think, that, and that's a big piece of this. Now, today, attention is a valuable asset. Mm. Massively. And it never Literally used to be. valuable. Yes. Right? I work for Google. How do we make make our money? We get the right adverts on Google.com and, uh, and all the kinds of other places. We're getting people's attention. Hopefully, uh, the reason we make money is because we get the right attention. Right. If, if I show you rubbish ads, then uh, you're not going to like that. You won't pay attention to the ads that are shown. Right. Um, so, yes, it, it's literally a valuable commodity. Attention has become a valuable commodity. The other one now is silence, is boredom. It's being unplugged. Right. Like they, uh, they have this whole conversation now about letting children get bored mm. because they don't ever need to be bored ever again. They have right. electronic devices around them all the time that can constantly connect them with people, can constantly interact with mm -hmm. them. And so to actually get to a space where there is silence. Right. And, and, you know, it's very valuable, too. One of the greatest gifts that you can give a kid is to leave them alone and, and give them alone time, like with no toys. Just, just be alone and think. And just be, right? right. Yeah. And it's actually a really, you know, people think it's cruel or whatever, but it's actually I, I think a great it depends gift. on the kid, you know, how you can train them into uh, valuing that themselves. Yeah. But, they, yeah. but in our generation, when we were children, that happened regularly. Yeah. That was a normal thing, right? You were yeah. outside with nothing to do. See, I, I don't think I ever had that. I, I always had books. And that's, that's where my eldest will always go. And right. the, the younger ones are, are going that way as well. Um, yeah. That if you get them completely in the open without anything, they will be bored and annoyed. Um, but just a book, and they're absolutely fine. Uh, I, I know. I, there's, there's a point, I think, that there's something to um, being distracted from your own thoughts. And I think a lot, a lot of kids, you know, sort of don't want to think absolutely know, and don't want to have their subconscious thoughts come to the conscious and mind and they want to put that stuff away because a lot of it's unpleasant to deal with and all that stuff well and so you know it's almost like a fear the, uh, of being uh, not distracted i i think for kids it's not so much that it's unpleasant as it is just boring i think we've got exactly the same thing for adults yeah and in that case it is more that it's unpleasant or i really i ought to think about this bit of work right and if i can instead check Twitter or in my case Stack Overflow or whatever right. then you, know, you, you say about going away on holiday without um, without, without technology, technology yeah. um, I guess my Stack Overflow profile will tell you how long it's been since I haven't logged in during a day seconds but it's uh, <laughs> I, I think it's three or four years um, I've 
contributed in some way, even if it's only you know, uh, responding to a few comments. Um, only. It would be every yeah. day. Yeah. Um, I have been with you on the train, John. I've seen <laughs> how many you can do in a sitting. <laughs> I'm just going to take a quick look. Sure, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. This episode of The Tablet Show is brought to you by Telerik Icinium, which enables you to develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript. And the best part is Icinium lets you do all of this from within Visual Studio, including comprehensive backend as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI as well as jQuery Mobile, and integrated testing and deployment capabilities. That makes Icinium a robust end-to-end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icinium, with its Visual Studio extension, is available on a subscription basis and part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of Icinium with support at icinium.com slash DNR. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M dot com slash DNR. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks and the Tablet Show. So, so tell me about the, the, the upside and the downside of, um, of working with the Xamarin tools. Right. So Clearly, it's not all, you know, y- unicorns. And it, it's not all unicorns. Um, but in some ways, the bits that haven't been unicorn, unicorns have been either entirely my fault or um, inherent. So let me just describe a little bit. I mentioned the Mac Mini. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the way that Xamarin for iOS works, it's slightly different for Android because you don't need a, a different machine. And in fact, for Android, there's even uh, UI designers, which aren't yet available in, in Visual Studio for iOS. But mm-hmm. I, I believe even they're coming. Um, so you install Xamarin.iOS on the Mac Mini, and you install Xamarin.VisualStudio.iOS, whatever the exact package is called, but you know, the combination of Xamarin.iOS and the Visual Studio package. You've also got Xamarin Studio, so you can build stuff just on on the Mac, um, right. or you can build it on the Windows machine without Visual Studio. But, but and also I depending like on Studio. what you buy, like there's a license. You yeah, have to, you have to pay to get it in Visual Studio, and it's. Uh, it's I, I'm sure expensive. you generally do. Um, so this is one of the benefits of right. um, knowing Xamarin people. So sure. th- this actually all started back in June at NDC Oslo. Yeah. I went to a Xamarin um, talk. And came up afterwards and said, right, well, so what do I actually need for this? And, you know, do I need to pester Miguel for a a license for this? Because I'm just going to be toying around, you know, and hopefully blogging about it at some point and, you know, talking on the tablet show and this kind of thing. (laughs) Um, And so, yes, there is is a cost to it. I think there's an entry-level edition that may be free with some restrictions. I I don't know. There's an entry-level version that lets you use Xamarin Studio. Right. And there's a $1,000 version that gets you into Visual Studio. The sort of pro edition is $1,000 per... uh, OS. Per OS. So it's... Right. You want one for iOS, one for Android. I mean, this is in the price of the same range as your MSDN subscription. It's not cheap. It's not cheap, but I, I would like to think that the benefits are, are going to be massive. Um, I'll we hope so. say in a, in a minute, an, another little sort of side project I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you install the different bits and then you run something on the, on the Mac Mini to say, I'm going to uh, you know, make myself available for a Visual Studio. So as a build host, right. it's like sort of pairing Bluetooth or a Chromecast or whatever. Nice. Um, and then in Visual Studio, you say, right, look for build servers, build hosts. And it finds, in my case, my machine's called Packamac because it's a little Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, so you connect up. And uh, then when you do a build, you can say, right, run it on the emulator on the Mac. So in my case, I've got a four-port KVM that uh, has my sort of 
bigger home laptop, my smaller Ultrabook, my work laptop, and the Mac Mini right. all on the same keyboard and monitor. So, so I, can, switch I just switch between uh, looking at the Mac Mini and looking at the... Do you need to look at the, at the Mac Mini? I, I uh, well, not anymore. Now I have an iPad, not generally. Oh, okay. Um, although one of the problems I ran into was when the Mac Mini was waiting for me to ack a dialogue. Right. Um, Nothing's happening. What's going on? Right. Yeah. Then you flip over yeah. and go, yeah. okay. Yes, exactly. Uh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, you hook it up, and then when you say, I want to start debugging, Maybe you've got your iPad plugged in, yep. or maybe you're running on the emulator. And in Visual Studio, you can still step through. So I think it does the C-sharp to IL conversion, I think. Um, you can have Xamarin people writing in and, and saying, no, John, they're entirely wrong. But I think it does the C-sharp compilation on the Windows machine, shoves all that over to the Mac Mini, right. and then that does ahead-of-time compilation to native... ARM code or you know, whatever processor you're, you're running on. And then um, you can still do debugging, so still inspect things. Uh, it doesn't have edit and continue as far as I've seen so far, but mm -hmm. frankly, I don't like edit and continue anyway. Really? Um, yeah. I, I'd far rather unit test things than, than tweak with the real code until it works. Oh, anyway, that, that's okay. a whole other discussion. Um, but you can still step through, and I, I have found that useful to, to be able to debug entirely normally and at a reasonable enough speed that it's still productive. Hmm. Um, so it is as if... I mean, you forget you that you're crossing OSs. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Crossing OSs, devices, platforms, languages, all of these yeah. things. Um, and I've shown Android developers the Android code, and they said, yeah, I, I can see how that looks like my Android code, except it's in C-sharp. And likewise, I've shown the iOS code to someone who develops in Objective-C for iOS. And right. said, yeah. That looks like yeah. That that looks like um, an Objective C iOS application, except it looks a lot cleaner. <laughs> I, uh, literally, <laughs> but it, maybe that was I just think that one back guy. To a point you were making earlier on, you're following the idiom of the platform. Absolutely. So this Even is not, not a lowest common denominator. There is no um, Xamarin UI. Right. It's not like you end up with clone apps on every device, all of which look rubbish. Right. You have a wrapper for the iOS um, frameworks, and you have um, a wrapper for the Android framework. Right. And to be honest, I don't know how all the Android stuff actually hangs together, whether it's... I don't think it's cross-compiling to Dalvik. Um, I think it is running the, the native mono JIT. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, quite how all that works with the, the UI stuff. I don't know and I don't need to know, but right. it does mean that I'm coming to both of these platforms as a complete newcomer. You were saying, you know, where, where is it painful? Yeah. Well, my first iPad application took me maybe 20 minutes to write and then an hour and a half to get running on the iPad right. because huh. of device provisioning. And okay. uh, so you, you've yeah, got... The, getting that vertical stripe through the system, yeah. getting your infrastructure right, takes hours. And Once this it's just right, it's right. Yeah. yeah right. Um, so... I think Xcode have recently changed to give you one deployment profile, whereas Xamarin was expecting two deployment profiles, or, sorry, two provisioning profiles, one for dev and one for distribution. Mm -hmm. So I had to do one of them manually. And it, it's one of these things that's moving so quickly that any tutorial you read is almost certainly out of date. Right. And where you've got two different products that have to work together, the chances of the, the sort of second product, knowing all the changes in the first one, are fairly slim. You know, all of this is meant to be done seamlessly, right. and it will become more seamless as time goes on. Um, but at the moment, the provisioning bit was, was kind of hard. Well, and 
I always get the sense that Apple is hostile to all of this stuff. Ah, I, I really don't know, to be honest. Yeah. I know briefly mono uh, mono touch which is what it what xamarin.ios used right. to be called and there are still mono touch in the namespaces uh, that was briefly banned because you couldn't write code which was interpreted on uh, you couldn't have dynamically generated code and right. things um i think that may have been what spawned the ahead of time compilation um but i think it was more that apple didn't want flash than right. that they didn't want mono touch yeah. yeah um so i genuinely don't know apple's position on it but I think it's fabulously useful. I'm currently at, at the last NDC. I keep saying about the last NDC, uh, but I, I did a full throttle session with Rob Connery right. where we yes. built as much of Tetris as I could in an hour, That's which cool. turned out not to be very much because, <laughs> well, so I, I've built Tetris in an hour before, right. a console version of Tetris um, from absolutely nothing to it was running. A right. console a, window? Uh, yeah, console. Just, uh, just in a console because that's... Um, that's cool. Uh, that was easy. Uh, doing actual GUIs is relatively painful for me. For me. Uh, other people would do it no problem. But I thought, let's see how far we can go. And because I was discussing it with the audience, we didn't get very far. Right. I've now taken what I started, and the idea is to write a functional core for Tetris. Mm -hmm. So you have the current game state, yeah. and what can you apply to that? Well, you can apply time happening, so the piece dropping down a bit, yep. sure. um, and the, the player saying move left or move right or whatever. Or rotate. Um, and I'm aiming partly for future talks and partly for fun to um, implement UIs on top of that core mm -hmm. in as wide variety as, as you can. So I've taken the obvious client application first, which is to do Tetris by email. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. You're <laughs> whack. Clearly. <laughs> so, so you literally, you, you start the server and then you email uh, and have a subject line of new game. Right. And it emails you back the board. And then you can reply saying left or right or drop or <laughs> rotate clockwise or whatever. That's just wrong. And then it mails you back the board. And if you wait five minutes, it'll mail you the, the board with the piece one level down and things. Um, <laughs> I'm then going to do my, my next one. You know, one I already probably... complained about having these iterative emails with yeah. someone. But this is a whole other level of dialogue. So apart from anything else, it makes any race conditions you've got really, really, really obvious. Yes. Um, <laughs> And it makes those long car rides actually fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the idea is to then do it in WPF as well. Right. Um, and now, of course, I can do it in a Windows Store app and a Windows Phone app mm -hmm. and an Android app and an iOS app, all with the exact same core. Right. And hopefully, I haven't actually tried building this as a portable library yet, but it should just work. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things I, I, I originally started on the Xamarin stuff back in June, and it wasn't quite there yet. But they recently announced portable class library support. Yes, they which did. was something I had been completely waiting for. Right. Yeah. Um, so the process of building this Node Time app was start new application, then manage NuGet references. I want Node Time, and it just worked. Right. Yeah. I didn't have to do anything to say I want to support it in iOS. I yeah. want to support it in, in Android. It just worked, and you just use the thing. Yeah. And so that's what I'm hoping will then work with this Tetris clone, and then I can say, well. I reckon if I can support email, WPF, may, is it worth doing Silverlight these days? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sure, Maybe right for sure. Windows Phone 7. Um, Windows Phone 8, Windows Store, uh, iOS, and Android. I reckon at that point you've proved portability. Right. Yeah. And at that point I'll rip the heart of it out and rewrite it in F-Sharp. 
<laughs> and Steve Thorne can still get it. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for an excuse to learn F sharp. Right. Oh, okay. I, I know I like F sharp already, even though I don't know it. <laughs> but you I've know, got to have a real project in order to actually start learning really it properly. Jolly. You know, Mr. F sharp himself was just here an hour ago. Yeah, Tomas. Yeah. Well, Don Syme too. Oh, oh, right. He yeah. was. He was just here. So I hey, haven't called but, Don, but I've seen Tomas around. By the in, way, in have NDC. you heard of Synergy? I have. I used to use Synergy at work, in fact. So just um, for the listeners, Synergy is a uh, KVM that's basically software. So you could install this on your Mac, install it on your Windows machine, and then you just essentially move the mouse to the left. You'd need two monitors, of right. course. And so that's, it's that's almost the for the, the opposite position where you've got loads of monitors, but you want to be able to um, just use one keyboard and mouse. Yes. Um, in right. my case, I've got one lovely big monitor. Um, yeah. And I want to switch between them. Yeah, it would be nice. I did at one point have a software switch in terms of keyboard shortcuts to, to switch between the various things yeah. um, because monitors support this kind of thing. And I think the, uh, the KVM hub itself supported some, some form of that. That's at uh, synergy-foss.org, by the way. Because it's free and open source. It's free and open source. And uh, yeah, it, it's it, very cool. It works very nicely. Um, and it, I, I think work, I think it would, it's a pain. Well, I would think it would work really well with the Xamarin thing because you know if you just set up a, a small monitor for your Mac Mini, put right. that off to the side, and uh, you know when you need to click that OK box, yeah. you just move so your mouse the, over to the right. Clicking the OK was precisely in provisioning. Yeah, I think yeah. I had to say yes, I really do accept the certificate. Yeah, um, right. And I think You'll I ended up with two or three certificates because I was manually generating it on one machine, and then uh, yeah. no, it doesn't work. Yeah, well, most of the folks I've talked to have gotten to that point. It's like eventually the machine ends up being headless. Right. It's just I mean, once it's all configured, it's and this is mostly about getting your development stack working, not your app. Absolutely. So yeah, I cooling. mentioned that I bought three pieces of hardware right. for Notice Home. And so so I've, Mac, got, uh, I've got Pack-A-Mac, the, the yeah. Mac. Um, Pack-A-Mac. Yes, because it's a little Mac. It's a little Mac. What's a Pack-A-Mac? It's I a don't pack know. of Mac. That, that's just the... the um, so you can buy a Pack-A-Mac, which is... Uh, maybe this isn't in the US. No. It's, it's an Anorak Macintosh um, physical coat uh, that you stuff into a tiny sack. And that, that's called a Pack-A-Mac. Yeah. Um, it's, a ki- it's a kind of coat. Oh, a coat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a Mac is a raincoat. Yeah. So if you just search for Pack-A-Mac, you'll, oh, right. you'll, okay. you'll find it. And that's I, just I the get, name I've given I'm my sorry, Mac I, Mini. I'm sorry, I thought there was another uh, Oh, no, no, of... it's, it's just a, the uh, cheapest gotcha. Mac Mini I could possibly buy. Right. Um, it's All one right. of those things you walk into the Apple store and say, give me the cheapest thing. And they say, oh, I get are, it. are you sure you don't want more memory? So it comes, with, comes with barbecue sauce. Yeah. So I have the cheapest Mac Mini I could buy. Oh. And yeah. uh, I also have a little nettop box. Nettop? Uh, a nettop box. So it's a tiny machine called Bagpus, for reasons I won't go into, um, which is actually sitting on top of a wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's permanently on, and it's running my continuous integration system okay. for nice. no time. So we have a public continuous integration system as well, mm-hmm. um, from uh, courtesy of CodeBetter. But I wanted one that I could rely on um, to give me half an hour of CPU time whenever I did a build right. uh, dedicated to me without messing up someone else's build. Right. Uh, because this runs the performance benchmarks every time we do a commit for okay. time and then uploads them to Azure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can, I've got another little application that lets me see for a particular benchmark how it's gone over time because I take performance seriously for Noda Time. Cool. Um, so I, I must have spent over a thousand pounds just on hardware for <laughs> Noda Time. <laughs> I'm sure Free you... and open source doesn't mean what you think it does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not pay for the software. Well, yeah. not that software. <laughs> 
Well, I'm sure you're using the iPad for some other things, too. Uh, mostly the Kindle. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful Kindle. Yeah. Um, the Kindle app on the yeah. iPad. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's a lovely form it's factor for It's a great for reader. But the Android deployment, it's not that painful. It's not that no. complicated. Oh, no. You, you plug it in. You install the, um, the Android SDK. Um, and you need to make sure you're at the right levels and things. All of these, because the APIs move on quite quickly, you've mm-hmm. got to make sure that Xamarin knows about the kind of phone you've got and, and all right. of these things. But one of my main pain points is I don't know how to build an iOS app. And I don't know how to build an Android app. And ideally, I would like to see examples using Xamarin. Right. um, But all the examples are in Objective-C or Java. Right. So you have to sort of do a bit of a mental translation. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, So that's that's purely a me thing. And I need to learn how to do this kind of thing. Right. Um, And I would love to say I'd taken it right from step one. Let's learn about how iOS works from the ground up and then try building an application in the right way. Yeah, no, not so much. I mean, this this map application I've got, I'm sure I'm doing this the wrong way. It, <laughs> it can't be that you're meant to do this convoluted way of getting a tap on an image and getting the coordinates of it. Huh. But, um, yeah, it's not hopefully I will get better at doing it and, and thoroughly enjoy it. I've said for a while that I should spend a year learning about writing applications. Right. Um, so are you doing anything else uh, fun besides focus, or are you completely focused on... Uh, the uh, C-sharp stuff right now. Well, I'm generally focused stuff. on C-sharp stuff, but uh, there are varieties of that. So um, I'm still doing screencasting. Um, yep. I really want to do uh, more screencasts. When I learn F-sharp, I want to do a screencast series of me learning F-sharp as I go along. Right. With the explicit thing of don't assume that anything I say is going to be the best way of doing things, mm. but it will be better than I knew in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Right. So in each... Right, I'm a C-sharp developer. Normally, I would do this. Hmm, I found this way of doing it in F-sharp. I'm not sure whether it's right or not. And next time, well, this is a better way. Right. Um, so I, I hope that would be useful to people. I still intend to write a beginner's C-sharp book at some point. I've been intending that for some time, mm-hmm. but I really, really do want to get on top of it. Well, now there's so many flavors of C-sharp. Like the C-sharp that you're actually using inside of Xamarin inside working as iOS. Is it all the features of C sharp? Yeah. Like, async await. Async await works. Yeah. Link async works. await on on mobile devices. Yeah, it's right. really what you want. Yeah, yeah. it's absolutely um, what you yeah, want. Yeah, and, and link I mean all of these things are primarily um, compiler tricks. Right. To just make you more productive. I I don't know whether dynamic typing works on Xamarin, particularly Xamarin.iOS where you've got ahead of time compilation. Right. Maybe they fixed all that up, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't use it anyway, because I'm a static typing kind of guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe I should investigate that. Yeah. Um, but most of the, the language features themselves, yeah, just port over. Sure. Um, it's beautiful. And if I write um, a book on C Sharp as a language, mm-hmm. I write it about the language. And yeah, I'll, I'll cover some of the core things you need to know about. Mm-hmm. But um, the aim I, I may have mentioned on a previous show the aim of the book would be to teach you the language with one application because I, I appreciate that for beginner books it helps to have one project that goes over time. Right. But it will be a console-based text adventure game. Mm-hmm. Because awesome. Because I don't want people to have to spend ages learning about GUIs and threads and, and all this yeah, kind of stuff. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll do unit testing along the way and we'll have something useful at the end but that won't get in the way of 
learning C sharp. You know, we're about learning C sharp as a language. Who doesn't love GUIs. a good text adventure game? Oh, sure. absolutely. Come on, now. it's it's old school, and that's how I learned. I learned by typing things in. So we yeah. were saying about the differences between now and back. Yeah, you know, when when we were growing up. Yeah. The difference I see in terms of people learning to program is back then you could walk into uh, WH Smiths in the UK, you know, yep. a, a news agent, and there would be several magazines every month of build your own adventure game and you know here's the latest code to type in. Right. And it wouldn't come with a tape on the front. You know, Sinclair user would come with tapes on the front for the latest demos of games, mm -hmm. but there would be other code that you would just have to type in. Yes. And that's it's the repetitive side of you don't even know that you're learning. You know, this is a point Dan it's North also the development North environment you were working on. in was very to the metal too, right? We yeah, were very immediate typing that code in. Yeah. Um, you know, the difference between uh, writing some code that you'd execute later or executing some code now was whether you gave it a line number or not. Yep. You know, if you said print high, it would print high. If you said 10 print high, it would add Just a line to your program. Prompt. Yeah. And now when you said run, then it'd say hi. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, I th and I think that's, we've talked about this with getting kids into programming. So yep. it's like, studio is daunting. Right. It's sure a lot is. of stuff. And it just your whole description of what it took to get Hello World to run. Oh, yeah. You know? it, it, I really pity anyone who wants to learn Xamarin.iOS. First learn C Sharp, right. definitely. Um, or maybe first learn iOS and then learn C Sharp But the process of doing mobile development today is not easy to get involved no, in emulators it, and compiling problems and it's just it's very complicated and it's easy compared with the alternative <laughs> uh, you know, of not having those emulators or yes. having to roll them by hand or whatever yeah it's not people haven't built these things to make things difficult no, this is just, the easy path this is a fundamentally hard. difficult thing to do yeah um it is astounding you know we say oh it took me a whole couple of hours to set things up before i could debug from one machine through another yeah. to a device in real time this is yeah. doing something kind of amazing yeah. guys the fact that it works at all absolutely I, just I, astounds I, me i had that louis ck moment it's like you're <laughs> in a chair in, in the, the sky, sky. <laughs> <laughs> we should be going oh my god yeah not That's complaining a, about the broken wi-fi it took me two hours to have to commit a miracle right <laughs> yeah. exactly. i'm upset about that it could have should have done that in 15 minutes yeah we have such high standards for everything's got to be so immediate. It's coming back to the attention is valuable. Yeah. Um, if it's going to take me a couple of hours to learn something, um, to, to solve one problem, used to be that was the right way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And I would still say it's a beneficial way. It's just not the way we tend to do it. And I'm right. as guilty as anyone of that. John, you're going to be a code mash? I certainly am. Yes. In fact, with the Tetris that, uh, that I was talking about, ah. which of course isn't called Tetris because that's trademarked and things, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. a popular block dropping game. Well, we'll see you there. Absolutely. You there. And uh, maybe we'll catch up with you there too on, on the show. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. On the show, off the show. circle back and talk about Tetris. One way or another. Or blocks or whatever or that something. game. Skeetris. That's, that's what I'm calling it. I like, I like it. All right, man. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Great fun as always. All right. We'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too much, but it means a lot. Just try.